to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. Hey, Paul, are you uh, you back on? I am back on. Uh, I have a house that was built in the 50s for the returning war vets. And, you know, it's been expanded over the years. And I, I've been here 20 years or so. And I, there's always been peculiarities, right? Well, the guy's in fixing my furnace. And he says, well, I'm going to kill the power to the furnace. I'm like, oh, no big deal, right? Well, for some reason, when they installed my internet, Remember, I had the big upgraded internet so that I could actually talk to you without having problems. That's right. We could we could have the webcam. Uh, yeah, on. yeah. And so, the, uh, so I don't know how this guy found an outlet that was on the same circuit as the furnace. And then when he cut the power to the furnace, I lost the internet, and and somehow I think I lost the dock, and PC crashed, and. I hope Matt was interesting because I really wanted to visit. <laughs> so so li- this literally happened a minute into the interview right after you were like, hey, Matt, how are you? Introduce yourself. And then it was like, and then you disappeared from the team's call completely. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so a, a, a furnace, a simple furnace repair turned out to be... Well, it was a simple furnace repair, but then I had an electrician come in and say, what's going on here? And he fixed me up some stuff. So it's always something well, when you're on house, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I figured, figured Chicago was wiped off the map by <laughs> some crazy storm. Because if we're getting weather like we're getting, then Chicago must be getting it, you know, a hundred times worse. Uh, no, it actually hasn't been that bad. And we're not sliding into the ocean like parts of California. So it's all good. Well, uh, yeah, a pro tip, shovel snow every day. Don't wait five days and then try and shovel bricks of oh, ice. Oh, I could have told you that. <laughs> yeah, that, I slept really well last night. I'll give you that much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we just got the 40 degrees yesterday, so the last bits of ice that were around are gone. But yeah, oh, yeah, you got to shovel before you drive over it. Otherwise, you'll never get that stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. And shovel yeah, before we, sunset because when it gets really cold overnight, you're done. Yep, lesson learned. And snow melt doesn't work, even though it's twenty bucks for a twenty pound bag. Well, again, of you got pet friendly snow snow melt. Oh yeah, the pet friendly stuff doesn't help. No, 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 no. can do. Anyways, so how was your week? That was good. We, um, I mean, obviously, build planning is starting to seriously take over my life, and trying to accommodate every workload on the graph that wants to be part of everything that we do is uh, obviously a challenge. Um, and that's kind of the nature of the role that our team is in, in the sense that we're not just focused on SharePoint on graph, you know, we're, we're all up on graph and there's, there's so much on there now. And it's often hard to tell the story of, or even a demo that weaves in all those things. Cause how on earth do you do a files in tunes, security graph, notifications demo all in one that would make sense and it wouldn't look too contrived so yeah that's that's been my challenge this week on top of my usual my usual job yeah i can imagine and i would it would seem you're at the point where it's not it's it can't be one demo but how many opportunities do you get right everyone wants their time so it's i can see the struggle there yeah, yeah. but um yeah so I'm, I'm averaging probably seven hours of meetings a day Nice. Um, and, and they're not just meetings I can not be in and, <laughs> you know, cancel. Like I, I really have to be in those. And so that's, it's causing a challenge for sure. You know, all that juggling. So it's, it's nice to actually 
not do that and be in a podcast and yeah. get something nice. that we know is going to actually scale and lots of people are going to listen to. Yes. And you know, some of that is bleeding into the real world, right? The I saw a blurb on the, the GitHub repo for the SDK that someone was asking about a capability that was uh, like just added or just in beta. And the response was basically, you know, we got to have the service here before the SDK is ready. But everyone's looking at their specific workload or, or they want to consume one little bit. And so, bam, where's my bit? And I, I can see the how that's a... Uh, you're you're like kind of like the tail of the dog instead of the dog itself. So uh, yeah, we're trying <laughs> we're trying to get better internally at um, making sure we know what's coming. Um, but every you know, looking under the table a little bit, all of the different team engineering teams for the different orgs all use different Visual Studio Online, Azure DevOps work item boards, and there's no magic way of saying go get me all the work items from all of the different work item boards where there's graph stuff in it so that we can you know see that over time um so we're actually trying to get them to tag things with a microsoft graph tag and then we've got this magic bot that kind of sucks them all in and we can see them all but um yeah there's no silver bullets to this stuff so a lot of the time until they get to api design review where it goes through our magic (laughs) api council for the last blessing before it gets published is when you know when we hear about these things yeah i can imagine although it begs the question is the devops api part of when are they going to be on the graph right that'll solve your problem (laughs) yeah We, uh, we we have that battle of definitely having kind of our productivity APIs plus kind of identity APIs plus whatever engineering orgs are an identity being on the graph. And then there's the Azure API as well. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it's definitely interesting, like at what point we have a truly unified Microsoft API where everything's on it regardless. You'll never will. Because as soon as you think you do, someone will have a great idea and then it'll be another product or something rolling out and then... So you'll never get there. Thanks for trying. Yeah, we, <laughs> <laughs> we have a few complete net new ones coming for build, which are pretty cool. So that's great. Um, so, I mean, you know, it'll again show this notion that this is the right thing to do and having one API spec and one, one URL and one SDK and one set of docs and one set of samples and so forth will, will make it easier for developers to use anything on Microsoft. Yeah. Well, but you know, I think but, as um, long as yeah. the, the philosophy or you know, like the, the guidelines that you guys have established and the, the way it's built and how do I expect to navigate relationships or whatever, the actual endpoint itself maybe is less of an issue, right? I mean, at some point it's whatever, mm-hmm. it's just a string that I put in app settings for at some point, but the, the, the approach to how to cons- find information and how to consume it is, is the key consistency bit that I find beneficial. So, yeah. Yeah. And then the other challenge we've been working on this week actually is, um, we know because the different workloads have a variety of support for OData query parameters. So, you know, some APIs, the expand work, some, it doesn't, some, the filter work, some, it doesn't. And, and we don't document that stuff at the moment and it's not kind of locked into our SDK. And so we're trying to work out what we can do with the SDK, but also how we can cater for this in the docs. Like in an ideal world, um, every API would support every single OData filter, but we're not in that world. And it's going to take a long time to get every workload to that state. And so we're trying to get to the point where if someone looked at a docs page for a particular operation, like get groups, 
that they can see that expand doesn't work on the manager field for get groups, for instance. And we're just trying to work out what that format looks like. So if anyone who's listening has ever seen a, a matrix table that doesn't make you puke in your mouth <laughs> when you're at your keyboard, um, I'd love to see like visually what that looks like. That's an easy thing to look, look at without being a monstrosity on the page that ends up being bigger than the rest of the content about the API operation. Yeah. Th- so that's one thing we've been looking at. Yeah. And, and I can remember this when SharePoint first started rolling out their REST API and some of the, like some properties can't, you can do filter on an operation, but maybe not certain properties. Like attachments was one, right? Yep. You can't do filter on an attachment because doing that on the back end would be a performance killer. So um, the, the, it's not just does the operation have filter, but which property can I filter on? Those I, I understand the scope of the problem. Sadly, I don't have an easy silver bullet answer for you. But Yeah, and it's not like we don't do it for because we're lazy. There are genuine reasons yeah. like the attachment <laughs> thing that is the reason that we do it. And a lot of it's just keeping the response times are under a certain mil- amount of milliseconds to make them even practical as an API as well. Yeah, oh, ex- exactly. Right. Especially when you have to scale, right. I, I totally mm-hmm. get the problem, but yeah. So, so there's been a few things that are top of mind for my week. Nice. Nice. Well, so if anyone has any documentation, silver bullets or things they use, please, please Twitter me, Jay Thake. And, um, I will give you a shout out on the show. If you come up with any cool ideas. Yeah. Awesome. Of course, every developer loves writing documentation, so I'm sure certain you'll get lots of responses. <laughs> well, I, I think every developer hates writing documentation, but they're always pretty critical of everyone else's. Yeah, exactly. That's also the point. Yeah. Although we've had a lot of very good positive feedback on the docs since November, since they've moved to docs.microsoft.com. So, you know, I don't think um, I've given you any feed, yeah. good feedback, but I haven't complained. So I like it. Thank you. So there you go. There yeah, you go. Well, I mean, that's that's how I read dev satisfaction <laughs> is how many complaints do I get? Because <laughs> no, one, no one pats us on the back. We, we, we know that. Yeah. We're not getting bottles of beer and wine in the, the mail. That's just not happening. Well, I, I buy it. I just drink it before I send it. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I found a couple of community links the, this week I wanted to touch on a little bit. Uh, the first one is uh, our old buddy uh, Andrew Connell posted uh, on a, a topic that I had run into and thought I had done something wrong. If, if you'd... Um, put the permission requests in your SPFX solutions and deploy that, you get an entry in the central administration site. And one time I had done that and and I looked and the same request was listed there like 25 times and I couldn't figure out what was going on. But he, Andrew goes on to talk about that, how like if I, if I deploy an app and I say I want member read or your user dot read and I deploy that thing six times, I get six entries in the list when you do this declaratively. So... Um, and obviously, you only have to con- uh, approve it once, so the other five times you don't think of it, so it just kind of collects up in the list. So this is a great blog post that AC has gone through and talked about. Um, and not saying there's anything wrong with using that approach. If it works, you know, it, it's probably more of an issue, I guess, in a developer tenant than it would be in a production tenant. But he he covers the different uh, options for for working through this, and uh, and if you want to. Use his recommendations for the PowerShell or CLI. It's great, but uh, at least it's a, a what's going on type of moment, which I found helpful. Yeah, I I do feel, and I, Andrew made that comment that that user interface is a little bit janky um, and could do with a little bit of love and caressing. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, it, it it certainly works from perspective of if I'm a vendor or a consultant and I just want one package that just has everything self-declared and deployed and handled. But um, in a dev environment, absolutely, being able to just trash those permissions and reset, it, it's going to be easier to manage with uh, the CLIs than yeah. it is kind of in a declarative way for sure yeah so so i would I, I mean the silver bullet for developers would probably be you know add the declarative entry maybe in your ci cd process when you do a production build um but yeah certainly mess and i, and I do right. remember um at one point you couldn't you couldn't like accept it a second time because you'd get an error message or and you couldn't the, the paging didn't work it was the time i was trying to do it i had a i had a like delete it's four pages of entries to get to the one I needed to click approve on. So it was kind of crazy. So certainly worth yeah. <laughs> worth tracking down. But in the grand yeah, scheme. That's nearly as good as the managed metadata UI in the SharePoint yeah, Admin Center. Yeah. But you know what? At some point, I don't want the SharePoint team messing around with every little fit and finishing like that. I'm, I'm more of a let's get our work done type of thing. So I'm willing to put up with it, but I would imagine others are not. So certainly worth understanding. And then I found another uh, uh, community item. Um, there is, you know, the SharePoint Saturday has had a, a lot of attention lately. We've been fixing the the login with ACS, and and one of the uh, community members, Tasha Scott, posted up in GitHub, which is a great choice. She posted a bunch of community event planning tips and tricks, and there's probably well, I'm seeing like 15 or 18 different documents that cover all aspects of running a community event. And so I want to give a shout out to her and anyone who's thinking of hosting an event. It doesn't have to be a SharePoint Saturday, any community event that you think is helpful. Certainly uh, spread the Microsoft Graph love. Um, this is a, a great resource to to get, and it covers everything from money to venue to food to swag and and all kinds of great stuff. Yeah, it's super useful. I mean, I haven't run an event myself in a while, but when I was in Australia, I did, and um, it's a lot of work, and there's always something you miss. So having those kind of checklists is really really useful, um, especially when it's kind of got these are the different options you can do for each of the decision points you've got to make around things like food and venue and um, rooms and equipment and stuff. But, um, I've been to quite a few of the events that Tasha's helped run when she was in New York with the SharePoint Saturdays. And, um, I don't think I've been to any here that she's run, but, um, cause she lives in Redmond, well, Seattle, yeah. she lives uh, now. And, um, she is a smooth operator when it comes to events. And the, the, the most funny part about it all is whenever you see her, she's smiling at the event. Like there isn't this like stress or fear or anything in her eyes. She is absolutely enjoying the fact that, you know, the events there and she's taking it all in. And, um, this, that was one thing I took away from kind of doing that is you just have to enjoy it and not worry once the day gets there. Uh, yes. And, and, uh, one time I went out, she was in Virginia Beach when I first met her and I was out for a user group and uh, not not just set up the event, but she picked me up at the airport and chauffeured me around. So real nice, all around oh, great wow. community person. Awesome. Yeah. So, and I, I second that always has a smile. So thanks for all that effort, yeah. Tasha. And again, uh, community events are certainly welcome and uh, it's a great resource to do that. So. And tweet at us if you need a speaker. I'm I'm happy to retweet that message here. Try to get the word out because sometimes events need need content and you can't make that up all on your own, right? Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting talking about that. That I'm still intrigued about this call for speakers for build. We will see what happens there. But um, I'd get in early if uh, you know. It's been a week now since that site's been live. 
Um, if you want a session at Build in May, I would certainly be looking to submit your your talk now. Uh, yeah, it's got to be as big of a. The response is probably just as big or bigger than Ignite. I would think most people have given up on trying mm-hmm. to speak at Ignite, but uh, Build it's the first time at Build, and yeah, certainly interesting. So can't wait to see uh, see how it all shakes out. Me, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're gonna be, we're, we're gonna have a podcast, and you're gonna have three words to say because no time. So I know that's coming, but uh, so you have you have my sympathies digging through all those. Uh, I'd be good. I I'm definitely one of those people that is you know, a day of. It'll, it's it's all gonna be good on the day, and it'll be fun to catch up with everyone that's a build. So um, if you're coming to build, please please ping us on Twitter and let us know that you're coming so we can catch up. But, um, it's, it's yeah. doubtful I'm coming this, <laughs> and what what was the background on getting Matt on too because um, you're going to have to dub in some audio that yeah. you lost from the power cut <laughs> at the beginning of the minute of the show but um, how, how did this come about so uh, Matt and I were at uh, the Live360 conference and he had a panel and the goal of the panel was should developers and IT pros uh, work together and um, it, the, we didn't get to, obviously, in a little panel on a conference, you can't dive deep into that. And so that was his idea. Of course, my response was, well, hey, developers, put when you go into data center, put your hands in your pockets and don't touch a damn thing. And um, with the cloud, I guess that's less of an issue. But the uh, so that's that was the gist of it. And then, of course, uh, wanting to get Matt online uh, to, to chat. And so uh, that was the impetus of getting on there. And uh, I know that you two, I'm sure you two had a great conversation and uh, I look forward to listening myself. Yeah, no, I actually learned a lot of things I didn't know about. So, um, which we're actually going to implement a few of those things in some of the stuff that we're doing in graphs. So it's awesome that we actually had that chance, which is good. <laughs> oh, awesome. All right. Well, so I hope cool. it was good. Right, well, and uh, we'll uh, chat next week. Yeah. Cheers, Paul. See you, mate. Hey, Matt. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. We like to start each episode trying to get a little bit to know about our guests. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So my name is Matthew McDermott. I'm a Office 365 SharePoint guy. Been in the community for a long time. I've been a, a MVP for a long time. And I am now an Office Apps and Services MVP. Um, I work for a company here in Austin called Spanning Cloud Apps. I'm the principal technical marketing engineer, which means that I work with the product guys on all things Office 365 and uh, handle kind of our community liaison with uh, the Microsoft community and things like that. So um, how did you get into the industry? Like what made you get into SharePoint in the first place? Oh, man. Uh, Like have you always been in SharePoint or did you start somewhere else? (laughs) So, yeah, I've had a lot of different jobs in my life, but um, I, I started programming databases way back when, uh, when I lived in Santa Cruz, in the Santa Cruz mountains. And, um, I'm graduated from there to working on different kinds of database projects, client server projects and stuff like that. And then I moved to Austin back in 98 to work for a company called catapult systems. And, uh, shortly thereafter, I discovered a product called Tahoe and, uh, Microsoft was using that. What was then, Windows SharePoint services as a storage mechanism for Project Server. And I was doing a lot of Project Server implementations. And I the only part about that I liked was the issues, risks, and, and documents, because all of that was in SharePoint. So shortly thereafter, they launched SharePoint Server. And uh, I stuck with the SharePoint Server side of things and stopped doing the project management stuff. 
and it's been SharePoint ever since. And then we moved to the cloud and it's Office 365. And and then there's uh, meeting you at Margaritaville. And then there's uh, bumping into Jeremy and meeting him when he used to be Avpoint Jeremy. And then just, you know, getting to know people through the community. And I got to say, I absolutely love the the way that the SharePoint community has become the Office 365 community and just the way that things have gone over the past 15 years has been pretty amazing. There's certainly no escape from it. I, uh, I guess, you know, my career started in SharePoint as well and, you know, moving to Microsoft, doing the marketing side of Office 365 dev, SharePoint, as you say, definitely did dominate there. And now even in Microsoft Graph world, the files API is the second most called API outside of the getting the profile of the person. So, you know, SharePoint is certainly in my wheelhouse on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, it is truly amazing how, uh, how we have managed, I say we being the royal we of everyone in the community, even folks that are new to the community that have only been in it for a year or two, the impact that people can make just by having a voice and um, having an idea. You know, um, bringing new perspective to how it can be used. Um, uh, Most recently, I think, so that I can see in the developer side of things, I can see the impact that the community has had driving features, driving useful features on the graph rather than, um, you know, back in the days when we had to wait three years for a new version of SharePoint just to get new, new features. You know, now we're seeing it roll quite literally on a, on a weekly basis, we're seeing new features get added and new API endpoints get added that, uh, that on a cadence that we've never had to work with before. It is kind of funny though, like we can't win as in Microsoft being we, because <laughs> we used to get hell for like not shipping things. And I remember being at the SharePoint conference 2009 and, you know, expecting these things to be in there and then they weren't announced and well, that's going to have to wait for, you know, a service pack in 18 months or, you know, a major version in three years. Now we ship things and people complain that we ship things too fast and people can't keep up and, um, you know, APIs change in beta and, you know, sometimes we don't do a good enough job um, with communicating that to partners and it can trip them up. So yeah, like every which way we do this, we're always going to have some level of frustration, I guess, from partners. But uh, we try to do our best to make sure we keep up with it. Well, the thing I can't imagine is how hard it is to keep up with the documentation. I just cannot fathom the changes because it's not just generating new content, it's making sure that the old content is still correct and accurate. Um, yeah. you know, and that, and, and then you have flavors of the content. I was on a page just the other day that had an office 365 flavor. It had or a, a SharePoint online flavor. It had a SharePoint 2013 flavor, a SharePoint 2016 flavor and a SharePoint 2019 flavor, you know, and, and different tabs so that you can make sure that you're getting the, the right for that topic, you're getting the right information. It's just a staggering. And we have that with graph in terms of beta and V1. And eventually, you know, we're already talking about what V2 will look like from a docs perspective and how we maintain all three of those. And um, there's certainly challenges there as we try and keep up with our own stuff internally. But, um, you know, our docs are gatekeepers now that you can't be on the service unless you've updated the docs. So nothing gets through without having the docs there, which is a really good quality control that we have now, which is awesome. 
Yeah, that's that's amazing, and that's actually a good good segue into what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So how, how? I mean, Paul keeps jumping on and off this call, so I mean, he clearly is having problems here. But how how did this come about that we wanted to get you on? Because mm. I know you and Paul were both at a, a conference and on some kind of panel where you were discussing this topic. Yeah. So we we at the uh, SharePoint Live um, event in Orlando in December, we had a panel, and the discussion was uh, IT Pro versus versus devs, is it time to bury the hatchet? And we took a lot of questions from the audience. It was uh, me and Paul, I was the moderator. So Paul and Rob Windsor represented the IT pro side of things. I'm sorry, represented the developer side of things. And um, Eric Shups and uh, Ben Curry represented the, the IT pro side. And we started out talking about kind of what the differences were and, and really without an agenda, we took uh, questions from the audience and within about 15 minutes, we'd all decided it was time to bury the hatchet. So we needed to keep going. And so as we started taking questions from the audience, the questions were really around, if you're an IT pro, what do you need to know to be competitive in this modern cloud world? You know, how can you still be relevant? Because the developers have all kinds of new stuff to learn. And the sentiment from some of the some of the audience members was, I don't know what I should be paying attention to if I want to stay an IT pro. Um, they, don't, they weren't interested in learning JavaScript and React and all of this other stuff. So what we started to talk about was how do you stay relevant as an IT pro? What, how do you level up was really the, the comment that was made is you need to bring a better game to your being an IT pro. It's not okay to, to do what you've been doing for the last 10 years because the cloud is moving too quickly and you have to bring your skills. So, so that got me thinking about it and, and Paul and I talked offline a little bit and he's completely offline now. So I get, I, I, I get to speak, I get to speak on his behalf and say, you get to be right. he, he loved this idea. <laughs> um, and so it I, is, it uh, is fascinating. Um, at the Ignite conference in, um, November, I was really surprised at the amount of percentage of the attendees that were coming to the graph booth asking from an IT lens, IT pro lens and not a dev lens. Um, and also the audience, uh, sorry, audience, the listeners of this podcast that are IT pros. Now, some of them are listening because they want to know what to expect from their developers as they come to them in three or four months as net new stuff comes through and understand what the perspective is from a developer of how we're kind of preaching the right way to use this stuff to make sure they're doing right by their company. Well, I think you'll, you'll know when things are really going well for the graph, when you have compliance officers coming to ask you questions about the graph, because yeah. they're going to find out that there's this gateway into all of our data that our uh -huh. developers are saying sounds awesome. So what can you tell us, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and that means that the adoption is the circle of adoption is complete, right? The developers yeah. are using it. The it pros are using it. And then compliance and legal is asking you questions about it. And, and, and good, I think the, the good thing is yeah. that those controls are in place, right? Yeah, and the Cambridge Analytica and various other bits and pieces have definitely like raised that awareness of these APIs and access and 
consent that users give applications to data and obviously to data inside a company line. And there's a lot of work that the identity team do, right, Azure AD, to make it super easy for IT pros to monitor that and manage that both in a UI and a PowerShell world. So yeah, that is definitely that skill set has to evolve in understanding the world isn't service accounts and usernames and passwords anymore. And exactly. it's much more about registering applications and what permissions these things have had consented at a user level and a, an admin consent level as well. Yeah. And then being able to go into like your Azure portal and look at that app that somebody wrote and opening up and seeing right there in Azure portal in your enterprise app registrations, what permissions were consented to. And, and so I love that. And so then you and I tangled over the graph when I had a request to create a series of steps that would allow um, a flow to call the graph in a secure way to be able to monitor for the, in my case, it was the change of an Active Directory group. But then that's why when I was listening to your previous podcast, you mentioned me and that post. And it's like, I guess that is kind of developer-y, but I was solving an IT pro question, you yeah, know? the lines are definitely blurring between yeah. the two. Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel like the the tools of choice in, in for the most part are separated but um, you know, as a when I was a consultant developer, I was using PowerShell to do all sorts of provisioning and um, spin up and tear down. And actually, Wes Hackett and a call this week I had with him was explaining that they do that a lot with PowerShell for spinning things up and spinning things down um, as part of their DevOps process. So I'm assuming IT pros are doing the same thing as well. I do that for all of my demos. Once I create yep. a demo manually, I use the PNP provisioning engine to rip down. Uh, um, a template of that demo so that yeah. when I go to apply it to the next uh, demo tenant, I can just run a PowerShell script and it blows all my assets for whatever talk I'm in. And I, I actually have the PowerPoint presentation name matches the PowerShell script name to build that demo. And, uh, and it just works, you know, it's, it makes life so much easier when you know how to do this. So I think the notion of this was that it pros can learn a lot from a developer, um, yeah. because we're insisting that developers follow best practices and, and check in their code and test their code and, and all of that. So why shouldn't it pros be held to that same standard? And that's sort of what we started talking about during this panel is using, yeah, like using those tools. Yeah. And so like IT pros are writing these PowerShell scripts all the time, but how many of them are on, well, I guess we're done in the age of USB sticks, but yeah. how many of them are sitting on someone's C drive and mm-hmm. uh, not being versioned or, exactly. um, you know, not being checked in or automated as part of any kind of CI process that would really value from having that around it? Well, and then, so then I was in, um, I was in, Harlem and listen to a, a, a great talk that Thomas Voshton did, uh, who's a he's a MVP, um, a huge community contributor, and just generally a really nice guy, talking about um, IT pros skill or developer skills for IT pros, and he introduced me to something called Pester, which is a it's a mocking framework for PowerShell that allows you to create um, tests against your scripts. And 
I was blown away by this. So I'm thinking this is like some new thing that I hadn't heard about because that's what we go to these sessions to see. Well, it turns out it ships with Windows 10. There's a there's a version of it built into um, the module is built into um, the standard PowerShell deployment for Windows 10. So wow. that that coupled with not using the PowerShell ISE anymore, but starting to use VS Code with the Microsoft PowerShell um, um, plug-in, what do they call them in, in VS Code now? Uh, extensions. The extensions. Ex- extensions. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes for it. But those two things together are a thousand times more powerful than using um, than using the ISE. And it's really the way yeah. forward, right? Microsoft's not going to invest in the ISE anymore. At least that's what I've heard. And um, and we're just focusing on using VS Code. And oh my gosh, my my productivity jumped tenfold by using that approach. And then your version control is all built in. So there's really no reason not to go this way. And it just takes, it's a matter of learning the tools, understanding that you don't want to be writing scripts. You want to be thinking about that repeatability. Yeah. You yeah. I'm intrigued. The, the, the Pesta, I hadn't heard of this framework either, but obviously with developers, um, you know, test frameworks and mock frameworks can sometimes cause a lot of overhead for devs that aren't used to kind of doing test driven development. But from an IT pro perspective, I'm assuming that's quite overwhelming as well. So how have you seen that beneficial for you in the scripts that you write? Well, uh, for me, the first way I started is I was working on a module on a, on a project and we knew that we wanted to ultimately deploy this as a module because we wanted to be able just to reference it and have a set of known commands that we could use in a repeatable fashion. So the module made it, made it, um, a lot was a logical approach. And then I bumped into something called pester helpers, which is another community project. Um, and it builds the, it kind of does all the scaffolding sort of like, um, your uh, the Yeoman generator builds out their project for you as a developer. This is kind of like that. It's, it, it will build out the module structure for you so that you can then go in and add your tests that you need to test. But it tests for basic things in PowerShell, like do you have help? Do you have proper naming of your verbs? Do you have all of these other aspects yeah. that make it standard? And that, that helped me get a leg up on how the testing worked. Plus, there's there's a couple of MVPs have written books on Pester, and there's tons of – there's an MVA, uh, Microsoft Virtual Academy course on using Pester. So those things helped me get up to speed faster and understand what it was about. I will admit to you I am not a um, TDD developer. I still really grapple with write the test first and then write the function. Um, but – what it taught me was how to be more um, uh, structured in my development effort of my scripts. And then you asked me what the benefit was. One of the things Pester offers is code coverage. It gives you an estimation of the number of lines of code that your test covered. So I noticed when I first ran my tests, I was covering maybe 45% of the script that I had just written. 
As I wrote additional tests to force Pester to cover those other lines of code, oh boy, did I find bugs because the 45% was the happy path. No errors whatsoever. The tenant is exactly the way it was supposed to be. But the other lines were the not happy path. And I was not handling the, I was not handling errors gracefully. I was, the logic was wrong in places. And so it made me pay more attention to those lines of code that don't necessarily run very often, but are very necessary to a successful script. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, again, doing those DevOps things where you do the happy path, it's super hard to cover some of the scenarios in a real environment without being able to mock things out to test those paths. Exactly. And if you change roles and these scripts get handed down to someone else, and or even yourself, you look at these things after a year and you're like, I, this is just going to be easier for me to rewrite this thing than to try and understand what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a problem IT pros have as well as devs from a, well, a DevOps do. perspective as well. They do. And then I'll tell you, um, so developers understand the need for source control, right? They understand that if I write bad code and check it in and it still passes the test, but it causes a regression, source code is going to come in and I'll be able to revert to the previous code and deploy that code and at least reverse my regression. We'll be back to where we were before. But I'll tell you why I use source code control. I get up in the morning and I get my cup of coffee and I sit on the couch with my dog. And I work on my on my Surface Pro. And then somewhere between that time and lunchtime, I get off that <laughs> couch and I go into my office and I work on my desktop computer. Well, source code control makes it so much easier to do that because I just get off the de- when I get off the couch, I can I can commit what I've worked on and I can go in the other room and I can do a pull and I can get all that code and just pick up where I left off. So yeah. in terms of portability and and shelving something at when you were thinking about it at that point in time and then moving and checking it back out and, and being able to work from multiple devices. Um, I come to work and I work on a Mac uh, being able to just get to work and issue the same poll command from my Mac and start working on the PowerShell in VS code on the Mac, using the same plugins on the Mac, doing the same testing on the Mac. Um, it's just, it makes my life, even as an individual contributor to this particular project, it makes my life so much easier. So I think, I think uh, our IT pros need to know modern source code control, which in this case, whether they're using GitHub or they're using um, Azure DevOps, which used to be visualstudio.com, um, they're using Git, you know, they're doing forks, they're doing checkouts, they're doing branches, they're doing, uh, um, ads, commits, merges, all of those things, um, will make them more relevant. And it's a skill that I think they need to have. Yeah. And I think for those listening that are developers that typically listen to this, going back and explaining this to the IT pros in their team or making them listen to the episodes themselves, like I wasn't aware of Pesta. Uh, I also wasn't aware that PowerShell was supported as an extension of Visual Studio Code. Um, and as soon as you can get IT pros in Visual Studio Code, it, the integration with source control is so easy with um, a Git repository, as you say, whether it's GitHub or whether it's Azure DevOps. And, you know, they're both accessible to go create very easily. And I think in an IT pro team where there's more than one person that kind of edits a script, the fact that you could have Pester flag on a build 
um, with a Azure DevOps pipeline uh, that would, you know, trigger a, hey, this bill's broken now that you've made this modification to the PowerShell script is really beneficial in a large IT team that maybe they're just not aware of right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's, it's super useful as a developer to go help out your fellow IT pros to make sure that, you know, they have all the tools they can have to, you know, make this as easy as possible. Yeah. And, and for me, I, you know, I, I've worked for a number of years in consulting and I've met a lot of IT pros and generally they fall into two camps. They're either perfectly happy doing the job that they're doing and this is the job they want to do for the rest of their lives or they're eager to move to the next big challenge. And the folks that are eager to move to the next big challenge, all of these skills are vital because that way you can leave. <laughs> that way someone else can come in and review your code. Someone yeah, else can so make true. changes to your code. Someone else can deploy your code without erasing the farm and be confident in it. You know, be confident that the change that they made didn't break the entire build. Um so that you are not tied to that code forevermore. You always hear that story about the the new developer who sits down and starts tracing a bug and he finds the line of code that says there's a comment that says whatever you do don't change this line of code just change the number <laughs> change the number on the end of this increment it by one that you came in and you read this and the number's like 8000. <laughs> it's amazing i went to lunch with a, a guy that's just joined the team i think he was from mit and uh he's working on the exchange code base uh, in online and some of those source code is you know years and years and years and years old but there's millions and millions and millions of people impacted every time they change that code and that you know what that process goes through um it, it's just mind-blowing in terms of the impact that can have and he was saying that sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming knowing that the changes he's making can, you know, impact the company sure. if they don't catch that during those code review processes and so sure. forth. And as an IT pro, there's certainly critical things that scripts they're writing that, um, I mean, a lot of it's read only, but um, I, I am seeing more and more IT pros now starting to use the graph, for instance, to mm -hmm. update things too, like mm -hmm. tag site collections or create tabs in Microsoft Teams or go create notebooks in every single team, which is doing write operations. And they're typically doing that as an app only flow, not as a user delegated flow. And, you know, that if they get that script wrong, there's serious things that could do to a, a real production environment that so they need that source control to make sure they're doing the right thing. Yeah. One of my favorite stories is um, back when we were all cutting our teeth on PowerShell for SharePoint, um, an IT pro who forgot to use the, the EQ to check for inequality and instead use, used equal. And he, re <laughs> he renamed every list in over 300 sites in SharePoint because he was enumerating all of the lists looking for a <laughs> looking for a list of a certain name and instead he ended up changing all the lists to that certain name. <laughs> it's epic. That's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. epic. Easily, easily <laughs> but done. It, but that is a two character change to a script, you know? Um, and so that's crazy. We were that's talking funny like you say that, you know, 
you know, the tool sets and having different tool sets, but already you've mentioned that you're using PowerShell testing frameworks in Visual Studio Code, you're using Git and Azure DevOps. Like the worlds are colliding a little bit for sure. Well, they absolutely are, but it's exciting because it makes you more productive. So why not do it? Um, yeah. That's that's the thing. The uh, the other piece, the other tidbit that I want to make sure it gets in the show notes is um, using PowerShell snippets. Um, I've seen teams have their own standard team snippets that they use so for instance maybe they have a uh, their own powershell module that they use for getting connected to exchange online sharepoint online uh, skype for business um, and then once they've used that common connector base that's part of their module when they go to write a new script they have snippets that they themselves have curated following their own patterns and used um, shared snippets um, to be able to get started and be more productive. So uh, Visual Studio Code has this capability that's um, that was in the ISE to allow you to, to get going faster with code, kind of like code samples, I guess. They're a template, right? But but if you want to do a for each loop, then you type four and it tells you, okay, here's the snippets. But I've seen them have uh, like mailbox commands, um, enumerating mailboxes, cleaning up mailboxes, security and compliance center report snippets Uh, um, to make them more to make them more because it's the thing they're doing all the time. I've got to write another script that does this. Well, here here are the snippets that we use to make that go faster. Far out. So you guys are becoming developers. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we're just becoming more, trying to become more efficient in the way that we do things because, you know, it, it's that I have to write another script to do something. Well, you know, then then take a second and think about what it is you're doing and are you going to have to do it again next Thursday? And if you are, then it's worth the time now to uh, to invest in making it right. My, my takeaway here is, and it doesn't really have the equivalent of Microsoft because MSIT, which has now renamed itself as something else like CSE or something, huh. um, is that whereas before you would take a case of beer or something to bribe IT to do something you need to do, now you just come with a, did you know this and that? <laughs> yeah, you need a tip. <laughs> And then, you know, can you just go add me permissions to this particular database so I can get it? There you go. That yeah. was the useful thing for the audience that are developers on the podcast this week. Absolutely. Is that beer will help you get your IT pro on board with whatever it is you need to do. If you need that code deployed, bring some beer. So um, how can people follow you, Matt? What's the best way to keep in touch with you? I did notice that you've upgraded your blog recently too. Yeah, that's all part of this Azure DevOps thing. I um, I recently shifted my blog. I was, I was hosted over on GoDaddy with uh, um, using WordPress, and I recently switched it over. It's now hosted entirely in Azure, on, uh, and I'm using Hugo, which is a static site generator. Ah, uh, yeah. It looks really nice. It's Thank clean. Thank you. Thank you very much. I still have a few features I need to add to it. I need to add search to it. Um, and things like that. I want to add a little bit better navigation is a little rough right now, but I appreciate that. Yeah. So all of the, I I actually author my blog posts in, in visual studio code now using Markdown. And so out of interest with Hugo, are you publishing that to uh, Azure blob storage with the static file? Euro in, or so I'm I'm going to switch over to that. When I was originally doing it, it didn't they, the preview didn't have the feature. Bless you. 
<laughs> the uh, the preview didn't have the features that I was looking for, but the new one appears to have appear, the 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 released version appears to have all yeah. the necessary features. There was some weirdness around SSL. Cheap. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Super cheap to run a yeah. site on it. Yeah, so far this Compared is this has been inexpensive. Service. Yeah, yeah, the app service yeah, yeah. hasn't been terribly expensive, but it but if I do it as uh, if I do it through the CDN. Um, it'll be a tenth. It'll probably cost me less than a dollar a month. Wow. And do you have any blog statistics on it? Do you just run like a Google Analytics plugin as part just, of it or something? Yeah, I just run Google Analytics on it right now. I'd like to see if there's a way that I can use some of the Azure Analytics, uh, Azure Web Analytics on it, but I haven't, uh, I have a day job. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I hear you. And nice use of your own photography. Oh, thank you. On the homepage too. Yeah, that's well, um, great. that's called Sculpture Falls in Austin. It's a really pretty spot, especially this time of year when we have water flowing over it. But yeah, so my blog yeah, is uh, ab- nice. ableblue.com uh, slash blog. And uh, on Twitter, I'm Matthew McD, uh, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-M-C-D. And uh, my Matthew McD apparently was taken on Instagram. So I had to go with my dog's name. And so you, <laughs> so I'm Golden Dog Ruby on uh, on Instagram. That's awesome. Well, look, we'll make sure all these links are in the show notes. And um, I guess my ask to everyone listening would be that um, as it's kind of a crossover show with IT Pro that you do recommend that your the friends that are IT Pros listen to the show um, and, and learn a little bit from Matt in terms of where things are going and evolving in the IT Pro realm around PowerShell and all the IDEs and the source control and CI stuff that can be used now across those areas so a big thanks matt and oh it's my pleasure um, i, I want to throw one last thing in and that's sure. uh, I, because this has come this far i'm probably going to turn this into a series of videos and so my video oh, channel awesome. i forgot to say my video channel on youtube is uh is youtube and it's my company name so it's youtube slash able blue and uh i've got that's where i have the flow videos that you and i talked about earlier and yeah. I'll, I'll post up, I, I'll probably end up doing one video per, you know, comment here about modules instead of scripts, testing with Pester and, uh, and then the version control with Git and Azure DevOps. And I think it'd be a good That's series. Awesome. We'll, we'll have a good story with Paul on why he managed to get booted out of this team's call. I'm just wondering, he was having his furnace repaired at home, so... Maybe the furnace guy went for his power line or something and he's been building it out. <laughs> we'll have to All right, find well, out. Enjoy your weekend, mate. Thanks for jumping on. And um, we'll definitely have to get you back on. And um, I'm you going to the SharePoint conference? I will be going to the SharePoint conference. Oh, yeah, great. so I'll be, at the, I'll be at several of the upcoming. I'll be actually, I'm headed to London next. I'm, I'm in Austin for SP TechCon. And then I'm headed to London for Ignite, uh, Ignite the Roadshow. Oh, yeah. And then I'll be at SPCNA in Vegas and then at uh, ECS, the European Collaboration Summit in Wiesbaden as well. Wow, <laughs> traveling a bit more now then. Yeah, just a bit. All right, well, I'll, I'm coming to the SharePoint conference now, so um, we'll definitely have to catch up. I'll come find you on the spanning booth at some point. That'd be excellent. I'd appreciate that. Great. All right, well, have a good weekend and uh, thanks everyone for listening and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. 
to help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 